It's Friday, June 3rd, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, some wild animal species might be evolving four times faster than we thought. Plus, what your voice would sound like on Mars. And the summer job in Wisconsin that makes teenagers jump off a moving boat to deliver mail. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Some wild animals are evolving up to four times faster than we previously thought. Four times. As a refresher from the University of Exeter, quote, Darwinian evolution is the process by which natural selection results in genetic changes in traits that favor the survival and reproduction of individuals. The rate at which evolution occurs depends crucially on genetic differences between individuals. End quote. Or as the researchers of this latest study refer to it, the fuel of evolution. Now, it's long been emphasized, partially in response to colloquial uses of the term, that evolution is a very slow process. That's certainly what Darwin theorized. But more recent studies have shown that, for some species, it can actually be quite quick. Just a few years instead of millennia. And now, a team of researchers from the University of Exeter and the Australian National University have published findings in the journal Science indicating that that fuel of evolution in wild animals is moving as much as four times faster than estimates from last century showed. The researchers poured over data from 19 populations of wild animals, including the superb fairy wrens in Australia, spotted hyenas in Tanzania, song sparrows in Canada, and red deer in Scotland. And for each, they looked at when individual animals were born, who they mated with, how many offspring they had, and when they died, according to study lead Timothy Bonnet from Australian National University. From all the field studies they looked at, the average length of the study was 30 years, and the longest was 63, which, as Science Alert put it, gave them a total of 2.6 million hours of field data to combine with genetic information on each animal. And what they were looking at was how much species change had been caused by genetics and natural selection giving them, as Bonnet put it, quote, a way to measure the potential speed of current evolution in response to natural selection across all traits in a population, end quote. Now, from what they were able to tell from this huge amount of data is that the speed is indeed faster than earlier estimates, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily speeding up. Because this method hasn't been used before, so there's not technically a baseline to compare it to. Those earlier estimates might have come up with a slower pace because they were using a different method. The researchers emphasize further studies need to be conducted for more certain findings. And finding that some species have relatively quick rates of evolution shouldn't be unexpected. Bonnet shared the common example of this phenomenon, the peppered moth. Prior to the Industrial Revolution in the United Kingdom, the peppered moth was mostly white, but, quoting Bonnet, "...with pollution leaving black soot on trees and buildings, black moths had a survival advantage because it was harder for birds to spot them. Because moth color determined survival probability and was due to genetic differences, the populations in England quickly became dominated by black moths." End quote. We may yet have more examples like that one, thanks to this analysis of so many field studies. Science Alert notes that this particular study was the first time the speed of evolution has been assessed on such a large scale. 
And if the fuel of evolution is indeed faster than we thought for some species, there may be some good news here. Because if some species are able to evolve this quickly, they may be able to weather the effects of the climate emergency better. There's been a fear that species won't be able to adapt at a pace with how quickly the environment is changing, but this study indicates that, for some species at least, they might have what it takes. As Bonnet put it, quote, This research has shown us that evolution cannot be discounted as a process which allows species to persist in response to environmental change, end quote. It's so odd to think about how some animals that we're familiar with could change within our lifetimes. I guess I should start paying better attention. So last year, NASA published the very first sounds recorded on Mars, and that was thanks to an onboard microphone designed in part by LA-based musician Jason Achilles Miselis. And for more on that story, see the segment that I did on it back when Perseverance was first landing on Mars at the start of 2021, link in the show notes. But anyways, those first sound recordings, while cool in concept, left a little to be desired. They were really just a lot of worrying and tapping with a lot of interference. Now, however, NASA has published a whole bunch of slightly softer sounds along with a new paper analyzing them and a new site where you can listen to those sounds as well as more familiar Earth sounds compared to what those same sounds would sound like if they were being produced on Mars. And you can even record yourself and hear what you would sound like on Mars. But first, the science behind why sound is different on Mars. Quoting NASA, when we hear sound, what we're really experiencing is our eardrums vibrating. That vibration comes from waves of pressure that travel to our ears from the source of the sound. To get to our ears, the waves need something to travel through, like air. And sound waves can travel through liquids and even solids, but most of what we hear comes through the air. Mars has an unusual atmosphere compared to Earth, with very different temperature, density, and chemistry. These differences would have three main effects on the sound that you'd hear. Sounds emitted in the cold Martian atmosphere would take slightly longer to get to your ear. With an average surface temperature of around negative 81 degrees Fahrenheit, Mars has a lower speed of sound. You probably wouldn't notice up close, but over long distances, you might. The sound level that you'd hear would be automatically lower on Mars. The Martian atmosphere is about a hundred times less dense than on Earth. That is, there's just a lot less of it. That affects how sound waves travel from the source to the detector, resulting in a softer signal. On Mars, you'd have to be much closer to the source of a sound to hear it at the same volume as you would on Earth. And the atmosphere of Mars, made up of 96% carbon dioxide, would absorb a lot of higher-pitched sounds, so only lower-pitched sounds would travel long distances. This effect is known as attenuation, a weakening of the signal at certain frequencies, and it would be more noticeable the farther you were from the source, end quote. Now, even knowing all of this, Baptiste Chide, a planetary scientist at Los Alamos National Laboratory, told Gizmodo that the initial recordings from Mars were so quiet, they actually thought the microphone might be broken at first. And I can say the biggest takeaway from all of the recordings on NASA's Sounds of Mars site is that they mostly just sound kind of muffled. So first, here is that first recording of Sound on Mars, now filtered by NASA to reduce the noise of the rover.
But to get an idea of how sound is different on Mars, let's listen to something familiar. Here is Neil Armstrong's famous One Small Step for Man line. First, you'll hear the original Earth version, followed by the Marsified version. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Again, it mostly just sounds a little quieter, more muffled, but you might have noticed that it's also a hair slower. That's that slower speed of sound NASA was talking about. NASA's Sounds of Mars site has a whole slew of different Earth sounds that you can explore, excerpts from the essays by students who named the Perseverance rover and Ingenuity helicopter, ocean waves, birds chirping, and what I thought at first was just a silly nod to city dwellers, the sound of a truck backing up. But it turns out that one is a really cool illustration of how the higher-pitched sounds get absorbed by Mars' atmosphere. I'll save you the audio of this one because on Earth it is super shrill and annoying, and then the Mars one, you can barely hear anything at all. There's also an excerpt from Claire de Lune that's really nice and has bass notes so soft in the Mars version they almost sound like a heartbeat. And then, of course, there's the real fun part, recording your own voice and hearing how you would sound on Mars. I imagine this would be pretty fun with young kids especially whose high-pitched voices might be all but erased in the Mars version. Here's mine. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Cool Stuff Ride Home, live from the surface of Mars. If you want to record your own voice on Mars, check out the Sounds of Mars link from NASA in the show notes. But here's one more cool fact for you. Sound actually changes throughout the year on Mars. Quoting Eureka Alert, As carbon dioxide freezes in the polar caps during winter, the density of the atmosphere changes and the environment loudness varies by about 20%. End quote. So maybe Claire de Lune and Neil Armstrong and you will all sound a little different during the Martian winter. Summer is just around the corner, and high schoolers around the nation are starting new jobs for the season. Most pick up shifts at coffee shops, clothing stores, movie theaters, and ice cream parlors, but in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, some teens deliver mail by jumping off a moving boat. A tradition started in 1916. Mail jumpers are young people employed on the 160-passenger double-decker mailboat Walworth II to jump onto a pier while the boat passes by, pick up or drop off mail in a residential mailbox, and then hop back onto the boat before it's too late. The Walworth II is one of the last remaining mailboats in the U.S., and Lake Geneva is one of the last places in the country that still delivers any mail by boat, which it only does from May through September of each year. It started in the early 20th century, when the roads couldn't easily be traversed, so houses built right on the water instead got their mail via boat, and the tradition of having young people jump on and off without the boat stopping was born in 1916, although it wouldn't be until 1974 when the job was opened up to women, thanks to Elaine Canelos, who wrote a letter to the marina owner when she was 18 convincing him to hire girls and treat them just the same. 
Apart from the gender inclusion, not much else has changed in the 100-plus years since the tradition began. In addition to hopping on and off the boat 45 to 60 times a day, the male jumpers are also tasked with being tour guides for the up to 160 passengers on the vessel who buy tickets to tour the lake. Some of the lakefront properties belong to such families as the Wrigley's, the Maytags, and the Schwinn's, and to witness Lake Geneva's unique mail delivery service. Quoting Atlas Obscura, The jumper's day begins at the post office at 7 a.m., where they arrive to pick up the mail. From there, they sort it into slots in the boat's front cabin and prepare for launch. They greet passengers and smile for photos, then take their spots to plan for their first jump, all while knowing the cameras are clicking and the video is rolling. Since this is a true mail and newspaper delivery, it sometimes involves packages. In that case, the captain blows the horn, alerting the customer to be at the dock for the handoff. The largest item ever delivered? A flat-screen TV. End quote. Jessa Berling, a former male jumper who came from a long line of male jumpers, told Atlas Obscura last fall, quote, When you start, it's with the intention of having a cool summer job, but the more you listen to the words you're saying on the tour, the more appreciation you gain for the tradition, and the more respect you acquire for the past. End quote. And the town really does talk about the male jumpers as embodying and carrying on the area's history. And for some of the male jumpers, telling the history of the lake to the tourists might be more intimidating than jumping off of a moving boat 50 times a day. Although that too can get more nerve-wracking when 100 people are watching you. All male jumpers have to try out for the position, and they all wear life preservers while they're on the job. Many of them come from athletic backgrounds, like Sid Pearl, a male jumper and member of the high school swim team, who told Atlas Obscura that he's fallen eight times, but as a swimmer, he's not worried. He even realized the crowd kind of enjoys it when it happens, so it doesn't bother him anymore. Some perils the male jumpers encounter that you might not have considered. Slippery docks, if residents haven't mopped them up after swimming. Docks that are so small they might as well just be diving boards. And dogs chasing you. Apparently over the decades, a number of families have trained their dogs to recognize the sound of the boat coming and go collect the mail directly from the male jumpers. According to Lake Geneva's Instagram page, the male jumpers will be back for their 106th year running starting on June 15th. So if you're anywhere near Wisconsin this summer, be sure to grab tickets for the Walworth 2 boat tour. Seems like there is a whole slew of musician documentaries coming out this year, and the latest, dropping on Apple TV and Video On Demand on Tuesday, is about Ray Parker Jr. Now, if you only know Ray Parker Jr. as the guy who wrote the Ghostbusters song, then this doc is for you. Heavily featuring interviews with Parker himself, the film showcases his expansive career that so many people are unaware of. Over the years, Parker played with the likes of Barry White, Herbie Hancock, Bill Withers, Marvin Gaye, Gladys Knight, the Temptations, Smokey Robinson, and Clive Davis, some of whom are featured in the documentary. The film follows the ups and downs and hits and misses of his career, and as you might expect, has an absolutely incredible soundtrack. So if you are already a fan or like pulling back the curtain to learn more about some of the unsung legends in the music industry, add Who You Gonna Call to your watch list. But that is it from me for this week. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday.